So uh, let me just give you a little bit of uh, 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 sense of what we're getting ready to do right now. Every once in a while, we do these things called first step weekends, first step weekends. And in every service so far that we've had, this is the fourth service, people have responded uh, amazingly in every one of these services. Uh, first step weekend basically is for somebody, because we learned this a long time ago, that people just don't have the opportunity because we just are busy doing our daily life. We're busy doing the things that we do. We don't always have the opportunity and someone doesn't actually always come along to challenge us to take a step across the line. To say, you know what? I'm tired of living the old broken down life I've lived without God. I'm ready to take a new step, a step that invites Jesus into my life in a way that he's never been before. And that's what I'm gonna give you to do, an opportunity to do that at the end. I promise I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. It's gonna be just you and me and I'll explain all that at the very end, but I want you to be thinking about that. Now listen, if you're a, not a super religious person and you're here right now, somebody brought you and said, hey, come listen, this is gonna make sense to you, it's gonna be helpful to your life, you need to come. Well, you're glad, I'm glad you're here, but here's what I want you to think about. I want you to just, to, just for one, for 30 minutes, 70 minutes at the max, I want you to, to, to I, want you, I want you to think about, I want you to think about just suspending disbelief for that amount of time. And actually asking yourself the question, what if what the Bible says is really true? How would it impact my life? And for those of you who are online right now, we're so glad that you're here as well. And I want you to participate in this too, because if you're online and you're trying to figure out your relationship with God, you can respond in the chat. And that would be an amazing thing. We've got people online who will respond to you as well. We're so grateful that you're here with us today. But let's get to it, all right? Romans uh, chapter, we've been in chapter seven this whole time. We're now transitioning to chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, verse one, starts with one of the most famous Bible verses in all of the Bible, and it is for a good reason. Verse one says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's take a look at this. This word therefore means, means in the context of this, therefore, in other words, because of everything that came before this, everything that follows this is the conclusion. So everything that we've looked at in chapter seven, which means if you did not catch all of that before, go back and watch that online because it was super helpful. Therefore, because of everything in chapter 7, here's our conclusion. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So know that he's saying there's no condemnation. You don't have to live a life of condemnation. The reason why this is one of the more popular verses in the Bible is because so many people walk around filled with condemnation. And today we're going to talk about three forms of condemnation that seem to be the most prevalent forms of condemnation that we all kind of walk in. And so people look at this and they take encouragement from it. But notice that there's a qualification for whether or not you will experience condemnation. It's for those who are in Christ. What does that mean? It means those who have a relationship with Jesus, who have trusted him with their life. But it also means something uh, more than that. If you're a Christian and you walk around in condemnation, you need to understand it's because you may know what's true about God, you may be able to pass the theological test. You may be able to say, this is what it means to be a Christian, but you're not actively in Christ. You're not walking with him. And so because of that, you have a tendency, we have a tendency to be filled with condemnation. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But I want you to see that one of the most important things are just these two words right here, now know. 
now know. And the reason why they're important is because they say, now there's no condemnation. Paul is talking to people who are in Christ walking with Jesus, and he says, now because of that, you don't have to walk in condemnation anymore. But before this, he's saying, you were walking in condemnation. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to tell you the truth, that I actually think that there's no way for you to get rid of that internal or external sense of condemnation that you have until you have a relationship with God. And here's the reason why. Because there was a time in which God created us. And when God created us, he created us to be like him, and he created us with a purpose. And one of those blessings that God gave to us when we first were created by him in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to look at it in just a second, was that he gave us what a Hebrew word called shalem. And the word shalem is where we get the word salem, And Salem is the second part of the word Jerusalem. Jeru meaning the city of Salem, peace. And so when we think of Shalem, Old Testament uh, word for, for peace in the Bible, we have a tendency to reduce peace down to the lowest common denominator. So much so that it actually really doesn't have any helpful application to our life anymore. So what is peace to most of us? It's the ceasing of hostilities or conflicts with another nation. That's what we tend to think about. Or if we bring it into our own families, we say, I don't want to fight anymore, I just want peace, right? Which is nothing more than the ceasing of hostilities. But we know, because we've been around a while, that there's a difference between the ceasing of hostilities and the presence of something beautiful. In other words, I can say, we're not going to fight, but I may still have a hard heart towards you. Shalem speaks to the idea that God created us in a state of wholeness, of goodness, of beauty, and of categorical acceptance. And so when God created us, he created us for that kind of life. So let's take a look at it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So let's take a look at verse 27. So, so, so this is what's known in, in, um, in Hebrew literature as a parallelism. It's designed by, by God or by the writer of Genesis to, so, so Genesis is, is poetry, but it's true poetry. In other words, you can take a topic that's true, express the facts, but you can do it in a poetical way, right? A poetic way. And so that's what he's doing here. And this parallelism is designed to show importance. So in Hebrew poetry, when they repeat something over and over again, they're like, this is important. Okay, so let's look at it. So God created mankind in his own image, right? That's, that's the, fa- the statement of fact. And then again, the parallelism, it looks just like it. In the image of God, he created them. So God created them, man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Okay, so he wants you to understand that whatever origin story you tell yourself, God is the creator of mankind. He created the universe and all that is in it, right? How that happened, we can debate that all day long. But the point is here, the writer of Genesis wants you to understand that God created mankind. And he did so very specifically, instead of basing it on something other than himself, God creates you like him. Like I have this son, He's my, he's my youngest son, and he's 18 years old right now. He's got this amazing flowing hair, and he looked just like me when, he was, when I was 18. We have pictures. We can hold him up, and he looks just like me. It's weird. It's kind of crazy. 
And, 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 and again, he's, he's, he's a gorgeous kid. I, I mean, he's amazing. And uh, he's, I mean, just like his dad. And, uh, and, uh, and he's terrified he's going to lose his hair. You know, I'm just like, yes, I'm so sorry, son. I don't know if that's going to happen to you or not. But when I look at him, I see my image. I see my icon. When, when God created us, he created an icon. And an icon is a representation of something else. And so we don't look physically like God, but we were created to be a uh, relational, emotional, and intellectual carbon copy of God. And so when Adam and Eve were created, they were created with shalem, with purpose, with peace, wholeness, goodness. Why? Because they were functioning man and woman exactly the way a man was supposed to function and a woman was supposed to function. Interpersonally with each other, uh, with God, right? And they had the right psychology, they had the right emotions, and they had the right actions. And, and that's what we are striving for now, although we are so different. This is not in the Bible, so this is just my interpretation. I want to say that because it's not the Bible. You don't have to believe it. But I think if we were to meet Adam and Eve right now, I think that they are so much like God in the Garden of Eden. If we met them in the Garden of Eden, in our current state of fallenness, we would be tempted to worship them. Why? Because they are the pinnacle of mankind. There was no one better and no one more glorious than Adam and Eve because they reflected perfectly God's very own nature inside of them. The only person subsequently to do that is Jesus, who was actually God. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. That's important. He says it again as a parallelism. Like, pay attention to this. God created them, male and female. This is not something, by the way, that should be taken for granted in ancient religions. This religion of Judaism is 6,000 years old at least, minimum. And then we've got 2,000 years of Christian history where the Bible teaches that the male and females were both not created one from the other, even though Eve was created from Adam, but they were both created in the image of God and therefore have a kind of dignity together. That one is not better than the other. One is not greater than the other. They have different roles, of course, but they're not, one's not better than the other. And that's uniquely Jewish and Christian. And so... Uh, let's go to verse 26. Let's take a look at this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Again, why is he saying that? Because he's saying this is so important that you understand that you are not the product of randomness, that there was intentionality in the creation of who you are, that God made you specifically to reflect his nature and his character, right? And so he says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may, here's your purpose, rule and what do we rule over? The fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Well, what does that entail? Everything that was created at the time that God said this. So everything inside the world, Adam, you get to have rulership over that. Dominion and authority over it. You have that. And so for us, what does that mean for us? That means that this, this is just called the creation mandate, this never stopped. This is not something that stops. So for many of us, like we walk around in condemnation and that makes us feel like the world is happening to us and that we're not active agents in it. And as a result of that, very few of us walk around as if we rule. And I don't mean pridefully, arrogantly, puffing out your chest saying, I'm awesome, look how great I am. But the rulership that God gave Adam and Eve is that he would be the supreme ruler and that we would rule underneath his, in his kingdom underneath his rule. And so the way that works is I get to rule, I get to lead this church, I get to rule the staff, but I do that the way that God would do that, right? 
in my best moments, right? So no one does this perfectly, right? So I rule the way that God wants the rule to happen in the world. So I rule our employees by taking care of them and loving them exactly the way that God would want them to do to the best of my ability. I rule in my family. My wife rules in the family too. She rules over me and I rule over her. We rule over the children, the children, and we rule over our friends. How does that work? I bring all that God wants for them into my life so that it can flow into their life. If you find somebody who is a Christian who's walking in the spirit, you're going to know it. Why? Because it's impacting everyone else around them. It's impacting everyone else around them. And that is the way that you are supposed to live. But for many of us, one of the great obstacles to that, one of the great blocks to that, is the fact that we walk around in condemnation. Condemnation yields guilt. Guilt yields shame. And that's where shame comes from. Condemnation is you're not good enough. It's not gonna work out. It's a condemnation. And what comes from that is, very, at the very first part of that is, you know what? When we do something wrong, it's guilt. I feel bad for what I did. But as you live with feeling bad with what you've done long enough, it doesn't seem like something you've done. It seems like who you are. And that's what shame is. I am no good anymore. And that's not what the Bible teaches us. God said, I'm going to create you, mankind, in the image of the triune, holy, perfect, omnipotent, omniscient, glorious God. So you look like me emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and your job is that you get to rule in the domains of your life. That means wherever you are, you rule. That doesn't mean you're always in control. That means that this is what rulership means. I take what he gives to me and I give it to everyone else around me because that's what it means. I have purpose. You have purpose in every relationship that you have. So I was out uh, this weekend, and I was meeting with somebody at a restaurant. I do that a lot, and I go to the same restaurants over and over again because I want to build relationships with the staff um, to be able to talk to them about Jesus and just to be able to meet needs, and that's domain of rulership. And so I was hanging out with this person. We finished our meeting, and the manager came up afterwards and said, hey, how you doing? I said, good. How are you doing? And she says, she says ah, you know, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm living my life, you know? And, and, I, and I said, that doesn't sound great. You Okay. And she says, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm living out the decisions that I've made in my life, you know? And there was a kind of personal responsibility that came with the statement, but then behind it, there was a kind of resignation of like, this is all my life is going to be. Like, this is it. I'm coasting, I'm sailing. It's not going to be better than this. It's probably not going to be any worse than this. It's just, this is my life. I felt really sad for her. And I said to her, I said, um, you know what? You can make different choices in your life if you want. And she said, she said, she's kind of got a smirk on her face. She goes, maybe. And I think we all know what that means, which means not really. And I think there's a lot of maybe in the room right now. There's a lot of maybe inside of us that says, I can't really make different decisions. I have to be the same person I've always been and I'm gonna be forever and ever and ever. And maybe, 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 God called you to rule above the circumstances that you're in right now, but it requires you to walk with him. It requires you to be in Christ. It requires you to be the person that God wanted you to be, and this requires you to be connected to God in the way that God wanted you to be connected, because when you are connected in that way, shalom, wholeness, goodness, blessing. And it doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. It means that in the inside, on the outside, bad things will still happen, but on the inside, you'll have peace. The peace that the Bible says passes all understanding that doesn't make sense. 
when the circumstances are unfolding. So let's take a look at these three ways in which we have a tendency to experience condemnation. The first is self-condemnation. We walk around with self-condemnation. We talked about this maybe nine weeks ago. And one of the things that I talked about was an inner critic. Some of you have this inner voice inside of you, this inner critic. And uh, this voice is just tearing you apart all the time. Everybody looks at you. You have to put on a kind of confidence. Everybody looks at you, but you're thinking to yourself all the time, like, why is my voice constantly condemning me? Why do I always have this condemnation flowing through my head? And you have this little, little voice inside of you, and it's lived with you for so long, you actually just think it's your voice. It's not your voice. It's a bunch of stuff that you learned a long time ago because there are some rules in your background. You may have learned a long time ago these rules are messed up and junked up. And then all of a sudden, there's a part of your brain that just started firing off all these condemnations. And some of you are experiencing like 10, 15, 20 of these things a day. All the time, your voice is constantly screaming at you going, you stink, you're not enough, they think bad things about you, horrible things are gonna happen to you, you're never gonna be more than you are right now, and you just walk around with that all the time. And that's not how God wants you to be. And listen, if you're a Christian and you have that voice, we have a tendency to, we have a tendency to spiritualize that voice and to say that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. It is not. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen, Jesus told us right before he ascended, to go and be with God in the heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. He said, one of the last things that he said before he left, he said, it's good for me to go because I'm gonna send one when I leave, the Holy Spirit, and it's better for you to be with him than it is for you to be with me. And here's what he's gonna do. He tells us the purpose right there. The Holy Spirit will remind us of what Jesus said. And he'll do that through the Bible. Like when you read this, this is not a normal book. This is not an inspirational book. This is an inspired book. Meaning the Holy Spirit works through the words and the pages so that in the moment when you read this at just the right time, when your need and the text come together, the Holy Spirit says, boom, and all of a sudden it makes a difference in your life. You've read it a hundred times, you're like, I know that verse. And then the Lord goes, no, 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 now I'm going to give you that verse. And he ignites something on the inside of your heart and you just begin to walk a different life as a result right? But for some of us, we do walk around with this voice for so long, and you think that's the Holy Spirit. That's one thing that he does for you. And then the other thing he does is it says he will teach you all things. But there's never one time in the Bible where the Holy Spirit's screaming at someone and condemning them and ripping them apart. That is not the voice of God. That is something that got twisted up in you a long time ago. It got twisted up a long time ago. And it may take a while for it to get untwisted, but you walk around with self-condemnation all the time. But maybe that's not your thing. You, you, you don't have the internal. And by the way, can I just say this? And I don't, please hear this the right way. This is, I don't mean this in any sexist way, but my experience with that first inner critic thing is that tends to be female more than it tends to be male. Doesn't mean that there are no males that deal with it, but there's a high percentage of women out there who constantly are thinking to themselves terrible things all of the time. And I just want to encourage you, that's not what God has for you. You are a daughter of the king. You were called to rule in your life. God has given you his spirit, and so you don't need to walk in that anymore. It's not his desire for you. So the second category of, of, of condemnation is not self-condemnation. It actually doesn't have much to do with what's going on in here. It actually has a lot to do with what's going on out here. The second form of condemnation is a form of people-pleasing, right? You're a person who constantly feels condemned because you have a misappropriated sense of expectations, 
So for you, one of the challenges is you're looking at other people and you constantly, you're really, people will look at you and go, you're so good at knowing people. You know what I think all the time. You know where I am all the time. Why? And here's why. Even though it could be a good skill, it could be a counselor skill, it could be great things, but it could also be a bad thing. And that is you're looking at everyone going, how do they think about me? Who do I need to become right now in this moment to be for them what they need? And you're carrying around just a gigantic weight on your back because you're never really fully who you are supposed to be in Jesus. You're what everyone else needs you to be. And it's exhausting. And you aren't called to be that person. There are expectations that God has of you and that other people have have of you that are appropriate. And then there's a bunch of that stuff that you need to let go. I was telling Kelly about this part of the message yesterday. And I said, honey, I think that you do an amazing job of actually balancing all these things. My wife works, when I say full-time, that's not even, that's, that's not even, I mean, my wife's up at five and down at like 11 or 12 every night for the last 30 years. She just is a charger. And she's brilliant. She has amazing things. And I just, I'm saying, you, you do such a great job. And she broke into tears, like right, right there on the spot. I asked her if I could say this. And she broke into tears on the spot. And I said, what's wrong? And she goes, it's just so hard to be a woman today. She said, I, I, have to be, I have to be a mom to three kids. I'm homeschooling. I am a wife to a needy guy. <laughs> she said, I am a daughter to a mother, you know, who's, who's just getting older. I, I, am, I am a friend. I'm an employee of grace. I'm the pastor's wife. I have all of these expectations and giant things that just feel like they're pushing down on me all the time. And we talked about it. It was awesome. But ladies, you have many of those same things. You cannot look at the world and take your direction from what everyone wants you to do because it does not work. The Apostle Paul addressed this about ministry. He said, listen, if I were a people pleaser, I wouldn't be in ministry anymore. And let me just tell you, that's completely correct. Fortunately, by God's grace, he did not make me in any way a people pleaser. Um, I just don't care what you think. Um, but, uh, but, but, but I love you, you know, and I just, but, but here, but the biggest thing is like, our, my job is to preach the word, right? And my job can't be to stand up here and go, oh, do they like it? That's just not, I don't know why I did the flare, but, uh, you know, it just, it, it happened. I don't know. It won't happen again. <laughs> There's nothing in the Bible when God talks about creating us and his way of interacting with us that is about shame and about condemnation in that way. Romans 8, 1 is clear that you don't have to have it in your life if you have a relationship with Jesus. Romans 8, 2 says this, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Holy Spirit gives life and sets you free from the law of sin and death. Paul calls the law, the Mosaic law, the principles that basically say you have to do these things in order to be right with God. And he compares it to two things. He says, because through Jesus, like if you're in Jesus and you're walking with Jesus, the law of the Holy Spirit, what does it do? It gives life. Look at these words, gives life. So when you're in a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is giving you life. So that's why you know it's not the Holy Spirit when you're trying to people please and you're trying to do all those things. The third, we'll talk about the third thing in a second, right? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Holy Spirit gives you life. When you move closer to God, you get more 
shalom. You get more life. You get more wholeness. Why? Because God created us to be that way. But if you spend your whole life relating to God by, I've got to do this for him, and I've got to try harder for him, and I've got to do, that just doesn't work. Because Paul calls it the law of sin and death, because this is the consequences of approaching God saying, I know that I can do some good things that'll make you happy enough to accept me. We don't even want to be in a relationship here that's like that. Can you imagine being in a relationship with somebody that you love deeply? And it's your whole thought, I've got to make sure that I'm able to keep them by making them happy. That's not how we have relationships that endure. Relationships that endure say, I'll be committed to you till the end. And when you fall down, or when you expect bad things of me, I'm going to continue to be with you. Not because I'm a doormat, but because I want to forgive, right? And of course, there are limitations to all that. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Holy Spirit who gives life has set you free from the rules of sin and death. I want you to look at this in a very practical, very pragmatic way. Up on the screen, we've looked at this for a few weeks, but if you're new here, I want you to see this. There is in everybody, and you've got to think about this right now, there is in everybody a demand. And these are the motivations for what make us go. These things make us go. They make us make choices. They make us change our lives. These are the things that we do on a regular basis that either determine blessing or curse in our life, right? And so there's always a demand, a call to action. Somebody has a plan for your life. And by the way, if you don't have one, someone else will give you one, right? A call to action, and that call to action basically is you must do this right? And so someone might come and say something really good to you about that. They might say, hey, I see that you're off track spiritually, and because I love you, I want to meet with you regularly, and I want to help disciple you so you can take your next step toward Christ, right? That's, that's a demand. Meet with me so that you can grow. And there's a threat that's behind that always, you know? And the threat behind it is, if you don't follow through with the demand, there'll be some negative consequences. Because if you don't grow spiritually, we talk about it here all the time, if you're not moving forward with Jesus, there is no such thing as stagnation. You're just gonna turn around and start walking away from Jesus. That's how that works. For many of you who have come back, come back to, from, to the church, you know that. Because when you left the church and you subtracted this from your life, you began to make all kinds of choices. And those choices were self-destructive. If you don't follow through with the demand, there will be some kind, of conse- some kind of negative consequence that will follow. And then there's a promise that goes beyond that, right? So there's a demand, there's a threat, and there's a promise. If you do follow through with the demand, you'll be rewarded. In other words, if, you wa- if I walk with you and you walk with me in discipleship, you'll grow your spiritual life. You'll be a better father. You'll be a better mother. You'll be a better friend. You'll deal with your, you'll deal with your family better. You won't have nearly as much drama. And that's it. And then there's bad ways in which this work as well right? Someone might come with a demand. And if you are a people pleaser, the demand could be something like this. Hey, I'm going to need you to work um, extra hours. Uh, and those extra hours, you know, I'm not going to pay you for them. I'm just, I just want you to do a bunch of work for me. And I just need to like, I just, we just need to get this project done. Can you make that happen? There's nothing wrong with, with the demand, but the threat is, and if you don't do this, and, and maybe the threat isn't even articulated, we might just feel it. If I don't do this, man, I'm not going to get ahead in the company. So bad things might actually happen in my relationship to the employer, right? And then, of course, you know, the promise is, if I do this, man, then I'll, the guy's going to make, you know, my boss, my, my, the lady that's my boss, she's going to, like, be pleased with me, and I'm going to do well. That's not necessarily true. Sometimes people respect when you say, I can't do that, because I have commitments to other things that are super important to me, like my family. I need to go and do this, right? And so this demand, this threat, and this, tr- this promise you just look in your life and ask, so I got this thing going on. I got this demand in my life. Is this demand matching up with what the Bible teaches me I should be? Does this bring Shalem? 
Does it bring peace, wholeness, wellness, goodness to me? And if so, do it. If it doesn't, then walk away with it. Walk away from it. And when you walk away from it, be free. You don't need to worry about it. Why? Because it's not something that you should do. Verse 3. Verse 3 says this. It says this. <laughs> For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son. I love this because as verse 3 changes, we've been talking about when we show up in verses 1 and 2. And now when we get to verse 3, we see why God needs to show up, right? For what, we, for what the law was powerless to do. What was it powerless to do? Make us perfect. We have 6,000 years of Jewish history, 5,000 years of law, 2,000 years of Christianity to show us that not one person in all that time lived a sinless life except Jesus, who came down from God. For what the law was powerless to do, make us perfect with God, why was it not able to do that? Because it was weakened. The law was weakened. How was it weakened? By something inside of me called the flesh. And that something inside of me, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. And if you've never heard this before, I need you to like tune in for a second. You have two things on the inside of you all the time. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit and you have the flesh. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you have the flesh. And the flesh, the Bible says, wars against God. It wars against God. So what that means is that right now, if you're feeling that kind of dread, a little bit of dread, if you're feeling, because I felt it when I, I didn't grow up in the church either, like I didn't have a relationship with God, I didn't grow up in the church, no one taught me this when I was growing up. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking like, Ugh, I don't know what I think about all this stuff, I'm not clear on everything right now. You need to know part of that is a part of you that because we broke fellowship with God, is broken inside of you. And it's the reason why we pull away from God and we push away from God. God's desires for goodness in us, and we say, you know, I just, I'm not, I'm not sure I can do it. I just want you to keep pressing in for a second. There, the Holy Spirit inside of a Christian, and the flesh that's still there, that old part of us that should be dead and gone, we resurrect it every once in a while. But with a Christian, we have the choice. Can I live out of my new life in the Holy Spirit, or am I going to live out of my old life of the flesh? And when we choose to live out of the new life of the Holy Spirit, things begin to change. Why? For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh inside of us, God accomplished by sending his own son. So how do I move from that old life to the new life? You have to be in Christ. You have to walk with the Lord. And I just want to encourage you to be a person right now who says, I don't want to live that old life anymore because you can't sustain it. It can't be sustained. Let me show you what I mean. So I don't know how many ounces this is. It's maybe six, 16 ounces, 20 ounces. I don't know. It's a big glass. I'm a big guy. All right. So we got water and I hold it. It's got, I got no problem with holding it, right? I can just hold it like this and it doesn't really cause me any trouble. But listen, if I started holding this and I just kept walking around with it and I held it for five minutes, no problem. 10 minutes, no problem. An hour, probably no problem. It's, it's probably a little bit less than a pound. Maybe, maybe a pound, I don't know, maybe a little bit more. Two hours. I don't know. But three hours or four hours, I think muscles in the back would start to seize up. Just be real tense. You know, five hours, six hours, I'm holding on to this thing, and my arm starts to shake, right? And the contents of it start, you know, my arm's just doing this. 
six, seven, eight hours, my arm starts seizing and falling apart, and it, it may be even paralyzed at this point. Because something that's really, really easy to hold, if held too long, will eventually become unmanageable and unwieldy. This is exactly what it's like for us with all the junk that's on the inside of us when we don't have God. We can hold it for a while, and it looks good. We're strong. We are capable of able, able to do it. You are big glass people. You can do it for a while. You can do it for a while. But some of you have already hit the time where the hand's shaking and everything on the inside of you is spilling out to the outside. And other, others of you are getting there. And some of you are already at the place where you're like, I'm just paralyzed. I don't know what to do. Here's what God comes to do. He says, look, this is your burden. I'm going to take the burden from you so that you no longer have to bear it anymore. And that is the whole reason God sent Jesus into the world to take our sin and the weight of it away from us so that we don't have to bear it. Well, you can do it for a while. But eventually, the arm's going to collapse and everything in your life's going to fall apart. And I'm going to give you the opportunity today to say, you know what? I'm going to move from this place of having no relationship with Jesus, not walking in Christ, to now saying, I don't have all my answers. You know, because some of you are sitting there and you're going, but Pastor Mike, you're going to ask us to make a commitment. I don't know everything I need to know. I get it, 100%. But you need to know, I've studied the Bible now for 30 years and I don't understand everything in it. I don't need to know everything to know someone came to rescue me and help me. If I'm in a burning building in the middle of, of downtown LA and a fireman goes, hey, it's head in this direction. I'm not going to go, can I see your qualifications? Did you pass fire school? I'm going to go, yes, sir. And I'm going to head in that direction. Why? Because I want the best for my life and I want the best for my family. And so I'm going to ask you that to take that step today. Just to take a step across the line. And I'm not asking you to do, listen, whatever stuff you walked in with, you're likely going to walk out with it. Maybe God will set you free from some of it right now. Maybe that, that, that happened to me. But I want you to know that you might still struggle with some of the things you struggle with. And we're not asking you to be perfect. What I'm asking you basically to do is say, I'm going to trust you. It's very much like love with someone that you love, like interpersonal love. You enter into a relationship with them, you don't know everything about them. But there's a point where you still don't know everything about them. And you say, I'm going to give my heart to you. And in giving your heart to that person, you're taking a giant risk. Because you could get hurt, you could hurt them. This is the same kind of category. But here's the thing. When you give your heart to Jesus, he will not hurt it. He will not abuse it. And he will not rip it apart. His desire is Shalem. Wholeness, peace, goodness. And as you walk in his ways, you'll see that much of that stuff in your life just begins to drip away because it's not who God created you to be. Everybody close your eyes and bow your heads, if you will. So again, I told you I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you for it. And if you're online right now, I want to encourage you guys as well to just, just be praying about making a decision right now. So, so as we're thinking this through, here's what I'm asking you to do, just to be very clear about it to say, I'm done with my old life. I want to move from the brokenness and the sinfulness of my past and trust Jesus with my life. That's what we're asking you to do today. There's no magic in what I'm asking you to do right now. It's just you being able to say, you know what? No one's ever asked me to cross that line before. I'm going to ask you to do that. And here's how you're going to do it. You're just going to look up at me and I'm going to look you in the eyes and then you're going to close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything else. Just you and me having a moment, okay? And then I'm going to pray 
Over here on the left-hand side of the room, just look up at me if that's where you're at. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep. Yes. It's hard to see in the back there. Okay. All right, how about in the middle? On the right-hand side? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, guys. It's awesome. Two in the back. Yes, ma'am. Over here on the right. Yes, ma'am. In the back. Yes, sir. On the right side, in the middle of the room. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. In the back. On the far right side. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. In the back. Yes, sir. Just going to do it one more time. And this is not pressure, but sometimes, you know, you're processing and thinking. You're not quite ready. Everybody else has their head down. But if you just want to make that commitment right now, I'm just going to go across, across real quick. Just look up at me right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let me pray. Father, I pray right now, God, that you would you would give your Holy Spirit to those who responded that need to take that step of moving from death to life, of saying, you know what, I'm tired of the old broken down life that I've lived in sin, and I'm ready for a new life in Jesus. And so I pray, God, that you would be with them. Just if you, if you looked up at me, just pray this prayer silently in your heart. Jesus, I invite you into my life. God, I invite you into my life. I don't have all my answers to all my questions yet, but God, I know that I can trust you because you have good for my, you have good for my life. Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong in the past. It's not who I want to be. And God, I need your help to become the person you want me to be. And Lord, I'm never, never going to do it perfectly. But Father, I trust that you are good and you'll help me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, everybody look up here real quick. The Bible teaches us that when somebody makes that commitment that all of heaven begins to celebrate. I think it's amazing that God is celebrating, that heaven is celebrating. And he actually says if one person does, it helps uh, heaven celebrate. So we are a celebration culture around here. So can we do that right now and just celebrate what God did right now?